Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, technology. We are here again on Radio Row at uh, Super Bowl in Miami. I'm Joe Favorito with Scott Rosner. We're back again, Scott. Absolutely, Joe. Having a lot of fun doing this and uh, some great conversations with a lot of different and really interesting people. And then we're going to have this one. And then we'll have So uh, we're going to talk a little bit of um, football technology um, and where the game is going. More than about the game today, but our guests are Bob Broderick and Brian Billick, both joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about X-Tech what you guys are doing and just kind of uh, some other trivia Scott around uh, Columbia as well there's a lot of fodder here a lot of fodder New Jersey fodder New Jersey fodder at that so first tell us about X-Tech and and what it's about and the story behind the company well Bob had had, uh, a few years back had come to me about um, and, and you know the evolution of safety for the players it's all about concussion protocol what can we do to make this safer for the players well and, and the natural, the, the NFL saying we got to take the head out of the game, and rightfully so. Well, if you take the head out of the game, it makes shoulder pads even that more important. And there had not been any innovation with all the innovations that had happened in sports and the helmets. Pads hadn't changed in 40 years, uh, and they needed to. And and Bob, uh, Teddy Monica, uh, come up to get, came together with this phenomenal product in X Tech pads. Um, the XRD technology and the foaming, the dispersion of the hits, uh, there, there's no pad like it. And it's uh, you got to give Bob all the credit. He's you know, basically selling the stuff out of the back of the car like Phil Knight and Nike. And now we're the number one pad in the NFL, and rightfully so. Organically, it's not like we had a huge budget, but because the product is real and, uh, and there's no better way to pad the players. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about the ideation and how you've grown the business and, and the business story behind it. Because you have such a background as a technology person. Absolutely, <laughs> Joe. Of course I do. Yeah, so it, it started really, uh, I was an equipment guy with the Giants back in high school. And uh, after that, I moved into the front office with Pat Hamlin and the media side. I went to Sports Illustrated Group, went to Fox Sports, which was uh, where I went, Brian. Uh, uh, met Brian, started working with him. And uh, afterwards, about started my own sports agency 10 years. And one day in the spring, off-season, I'm at the Giants facility as well as some other NFL teams. And everyone keeps saying Ted Monica's name, Ted Monica, Ted Monica. And uh, turns out he was the head designer at Riddell, which is arguably the market leader, uh, for about 20 years. Um, everything kind of went towards helmets. The shoulder pad issue was if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Players aren't complaining about it. Um, and he said, no, I think that we can do something better. So he went out on his own. He started a couple things that I was not involved in. Uh, great product. They didn't have the proper people around them from a business standpoint. Years later, got introduced to him through a couple of teams, uh, a couple of trainers, and put together a prototype. Uh, I remember testing it with two NFL teams. Uh, Justin Tuck and Victor Cruz were two of the first names to wear it. Yeah, Tuck was one of my students at Wharton. Was he? Yeah. So, um, Justin, of course, bright guy. Uh, I take his word on on a lot of these things. So uh, the other one was uh, Matthias Kiwanuka, and it was a little unique. We knew uh, we could access the NFL day one, where a lot of other people say, hey, we're going to start high school and one day hope that we can get the NFL. We knew we could get their buy-in, we could get the meetings, we could uh, get in due to our relationships. And I remember one day, the pad used to be white during the prototyping phase, and the Giants had it, and I remember literally going through programs where I'd ask Teddy, like, what happens if it's cold? Because we started this thing in the spring, went to summer, but the Giants just went to Green Bay and it's 8 degrees. 
you know, are we good or are we going to have a problem on national television? You know, those are the early days and some sure. of the stories back then. But one time it happened, Matthias Kiwanuka uh, and Chris Snee came out. Chris Snee pulled, hit, hit Matthias, one of the hardest hits I've ever seen. And uh, both of them got up, looked at us, and gave us a thumbs up. I looked at Teddy. I asked Tuck, I said, uh, if you were me, would you put your uh, career on the line for this? He goes, I think you have something. And then we That's put, your aha moment. Yeah, that was a big one. So the strategy with the company, and, and it is inverted, so you're starting at the top of the pyramid and trickling down. Um, and, and the hope is, because, you know, while it's great to have, you know, 1,800 players wearing, wearing your pads across the NFL, from a business perspective, right, the, the real money is at the bottom of the pyramid. Absolutely. Right? In youth and in high school football. Um, and I'm curious about that because we, and, and it brings up in it with a different technique, with a different piece of equipment, Vices and what they just went through, right? So Vices had 225 or so guys at the uh, in the league wearing their helmets, leading edge technology, but were unable to penetrate the high school and youth levels. So how do you, how do you get past that? Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, Vices just, what, two, three weeks ago announced they were yeah. shutting down after. Uh, and, and on the forefront, they had raised $90 million from what's been reported. As Brian mentioned, we've kind of done this grassroots. Um, you bring up a good point. The NFL with the CFL and now even throw in the XFL makes up about 2% of the total market. Uh, 92% of it is high school. So uh, that means another 7 or 8% is college. So number one pad in the NFL right now, got about 600 colleges that wear it. Uh, just got University of Oklahoma last week. I, I can go on and on. Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan. Notre so you're Game penetrating the, mid-le- the mid-level of the pyramid. And, and about two years ago, we went after high schools. Our price point is fairly high, um, but we were able to do some programs. And we said, listen, we're going to start with a nationally ranked program. So your De La Salle's, your modern days, your St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, the state of Texas. Uh, and what that started <laughs> to do was basically those top kids that are getting recruited, we've seen once you put it on, when they go to college, they're going to request it. So now I call it the top down, and now it's bottom up as well. Uh, we were talking about Stanford earlier with Brian's background. Uh, there was one quarterback at a Greater Atlanta Christian in Georgia. I physically went down. Mike Smith, Brian's brother-in-law, former Falcons coach, is an investor as well. And, you know, I always joke, every high school I go to, it's, oh, I want you to fit our quarterback. He's the next Troy Aikman or Tom Brady. Of course he is, right? Turns out this kid was. Um, his name's eluding me right now, but he's at Stanford right now. And I fit him. He loved it. We had not gotten into Stanford at the time. And, of course, in the spring, he's an early enrollee. We get a phone call. Equipment guy says, hey, we have a request from. And I said, that name sounds familiar. Now you look at Stanford, I bet we have 80% of the program. So now these kids are starting to realize it at all levels. Even pro athletes, back when we started, they didn't even know what they were wearing when asked. But back to your point about the market, 92% of it's high school. Um, We have plans in 21 to come out with a varsity product. Uh, that's very similar to it, but it's a little more uh, efficient from a price standpoint. From a price standpoint, yeah. yeah. And, and the youth level? Yeah. That, there? I mean, that's really what seemed to get places. You know, uh, I get phone calls. Out. We can outfit right now everyone from about the eighth grade up, say five foot five to about 140 pounds and up. The youth market I get constantly, right? Stanford's uh, quarterback, Davis Mills, um, that was there. Uh, the youth market we get often, that's probably a 2022 approach for us. Um, we started much smaller. As you mentioned, Vice has had 275 guys on the payroll. Um, we started out, Teddy and myself, we're up to 11 full-time employees now, taking the proper steps, doing it organically. Our marketing budget, a lot of it is through media and PR. Joe and I have worked together on a variety of different things. It's such things. a beautiful office to have, too. Yes, it's gorgeous. <laughs> so... Um, Your garage is a little bit nicer than than their office. You know what? Everyone yeah. starts somewhere. Yeah, it's great though. So, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, 
a lot of momentum heading into uh, 2020. Brian, how did you get involved? Well, uh, Bob said Bob worked with me when I was at Fox. Okay. Uh, and and uh, so you were out of coaching there. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing uh, shows, uh, the games for Fox, and then doing the shows for the NFL Network. And uh, and then when Bob started to get started with this and was branching out from Fox and started his own, he kind of became my publicist for a couple things I'm doing. And so it was a natural when the pad came up. He said, "Coach, we got this thing going. What do you think?" And so uh, and I knew how they Bob was going to go after it, and and I knew the market there was a need. Uh, and really thought that it would hit, so uh, just kind of got involved and kind of let Bob uh, take the lead. So your involvement is not on the tech side, right? I imagine it's no. more relationship. No, certainly, yeah, certainly, and 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 from an investment standpoint, obviously, certainly from a PR standpoint, I'll do a number of uh, uh, PR events and and uh, radio shows to to try to get people aware of it. Um, but uh, basically, just as a support, and you know, obviously, I can chip in and say, "Jesus makes sense and looks good." But no, strictly more from a promotional standpoint. So, our listeners know who he is, but do not know his background. So, Jason Wingard, who is yeah. the dean of the School of Professional Studies, um, is a former Stanford football player. Was a wide receiver for you in the '90s. There, um, what I think people don't—if they don't know that—which I pretty sure they don't what they also don't know is that you were his position coach yeah you give us a little scouting report on dean <laughs> jason wingard as a wide receiver well you know we we, we were very talented ed mccaffrey uh was a receiver that obviously did well in the nfl cory booker uh, that we've talked about gone on to a, another a number of areas um Jason was, and again, you're testing me here because this is going back going now. Back a long time. Yeah, a long time ago, and there's so many players that come through, and, uh, and many that actually get on the field. Like, right. like, uh, <laughs> like Corey. Right. Uh, good, solid, smart, functional, but you know, just wasn't gonna, you know, really get a lot of playing time because, in Corey's standpoint, we had a couple of really good tight ends uh, at the time, and and uh, but they were great, great teammates, and great to be a part of the club. Yeah. No, and and as as we said, you know, so if it weren't for you not playing Jason Moore, he wouldn't be my boss. I I, I, I say, you know, I I, I I robbed professional football for the payoff to being for obviously going on to, okay. and you always when I became a head coach in the NFL. Uh, and you had to cut guys. Isn't that's a hard thing to do? Yeah. Because because I played and got cut and know what that meant. You work your whole life. You think you're going to be an NFL player, and you're not. But to be able to sit there and, and I always think back to the uh, uh, to that saying in The Unforgiven. You know, when Clint Eastwood says, "You know, when you kill a man, you don't even you don't only kill him, but you kill every dream he's ever going to have." Well, I, that kind of in the back of your mind when you cut a kid, you're realizing you're going to you're going to kill every dream he's ever had when it came to to, to playing. Uh, and and it's always but. You know, you need to think about your life's work now and going on at a very, very young age, and uh, a little bit earlier for those guys. But obviously, their their life's work uh, took a good direction. So, and that's actually an interesting kind of side path for us to go down. The you know when you when you cut guys, right? And so, and to the outside world, you know, the, I think for most people, if they didn't play sports, and certainly not at the professional level, the closest they get to this is hard knocks, right? Sure. And they and, and we they, were the first hard knocks. And you were the first hard knocks. So. When that happens, I mean, as a coach, how do, how do you prepare for that? I mean, that, that certainly has to take its toll because you might like a kid, right? Right. Personally. And what they've done and sacrificed for you. I always remembered when I got cut by the Cowboys and Tom Landry, and I was the last cut. Tom Landry sat with me for a good twenty-five minutes, half hour. Now, Tom Landry had better things to do than to sit with some guy that wasn't going to be on his football team. 
but I'd kind of gotten to know Coach Landry. He knew I kind of had an eye on what he doing coaching. He, he was interested in just, it basically showed that, look, I appreciate what you did and, and, and appreciate the fact that you've got plans. And I always thought, you know what, I tried to remind myself, because it's a very hectic time. Sometimes you don't have the time to spend with athletes you'd like to when it comes to, to you know, transitioning. Uh, but I thought, you know what, I've got to be mindful of that. If Tom Landry can take the time with some slappy back end, tight end, uh, that he's probably never going to see again. You know, I've, I've got to remember that and realize the human aspect of, and I always, my pat line for them was to always say, look, it's not my place to tell you you're done and have no chance of playing professional football. It's my obligation to tell you it's just not going to be for the Baltimore Ravens because you wanted to make sure that you, they understood, look, this is your call. Uh, this just isn't going to work here. You've been out of, the, out of the coaching business for a little bit a while now. How has it changed in that short period of time? You know, the, I, as I look at the league and I stay close to it, given what I do for the NFL Network and looking at the film, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The fundamentals remain the same. What I do think, because the new athlete, it is a much more interactive. I was still of the generation of the Bill Parcellian, my way or the highway. You know, I always joke that, you know, my generation, it's you say jump, they say, how high? Well, you say jump, and they go, well, why? Uh, is that my contract? And how much do I make for it? Well, you know what? You've got to have an answer for that. So the way that the coaches today have to interact with the players, I've always said it, coaching nowadays is more about negotiation than it is coaching. And that sounds cynical, but today's player demands more in terms of the interconnectivity. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, uh, just because of the sheer nature of, of where we are and what we're doing. That, uh, And that's not a bad thing. You, you, you've got to be responsive that way. But today's coaches, particularly young coaches, understand that. And the way they communicate and they text and tweet and all that with their players, that's the way you got to communicate today with your players. So... Which then begs the question, for coaches of a certain age who did not grow up with social media or tweeting and don't have the same general mindset of the players, if you're not a Gen Z, right. uh, millennial type, um, how do you bridge that gap? I mean, how, how do you learn the, those skills and how do you address well, it? Like any good coach, you're going to adapt. You find somebody that can do that for you <laughs> to make sure that you get that connection. So you're delegating that. Sure you do, in terms of, hey, make sure that I stay up with this. I, I left the league just as that was beginning to hit so i really can't speak intelligently about now having to manage that uh that one-on-one -on -one connection my son-in-law just finished a career in the nba which is was fun to be around that because that's a totally different dynamic now you're talking 12 guys in lot 15 guys in the locker room just that whole dynamic guaranteeing contracts and watching the coaches that he went through and watching the way that interaction that is is demanded in that kind of sport compared to the NFL where you still have 53 players and the whole like but that's clearly that kind of interconnectivity that one-on-one -on -one, that's what the good coaches have to do talking about evolving businesses we talked about evolving coaching Bob where does this business go from here are there other sports are there other pieces of equipment that you could go into because obviously you Eventually, you hit a little bit of a ceiling, but to, to evolve this where you're going to probably bring, bring in more money and, and figuring out where you can scale the business, where does it go from here? Yeah, there certainly is um, plans to you know move outside of the American football. I say American football because you'd be amazed at the amount of international distribution. Uh, just two weeks ago, uh, we signed distribution deals. Brian doesn't even know this yet, so you'll appreciate this piece of information. Breaking news. Uh, Mexico, the Netherlands, uh, UK, 
Germany, for Canada, yep, uh, China, and Japan, and Switzerland. So, and when we got into this, I never imagined that there would actually be uh, a demand for this product. Uh, just one little note on the on the social networking side of things. No one cares about my personal life, and I don't blame them. But Instagram for the business, it is unbelievable. You talk about having a marketing budget versus some of the integrated media that we do. Instagram is absolutely phenomenal. We've put a lot of effort into it the last six or eight months. Uh, it's led us to selling uh, in, in uh, I believe it was 47 of the 50 states online, and I believe in 16 different countries. And I mean, just two weeks ago, I got a message on there from a guy. I did not know where the, the location tag came up from. And he said, I really want to buy this. I'm a semi-pro player. You know, I'm six foot. I'm 200 pounds. I play safety. It's great. I find out where he is. His little data tracker, you can see where he is on the map, is right next to the Great Pyramids in Egypt. Wow. So it's wide left. And literally two days later, he bought the pad online, shipped it out. It's, it's just unbelievable how much the game has spread. Australia, I think, is a market that's really growing. Um, so to get back to your question, we're going to concentrate on football right now. Uh, you mentioned Vices and some of their downfalls. I think there's, you know, they expanded into some military prototyping. There's a ways to go. There is about, right now, last year I'd say we had 600 high schools that bought from us. Uh, to give you an idea, there's about 15,000 high schools in the, in the states to play. That doesn't even include 8th grade and below. So there's a long way for us to go right now. Um, I want to be extremely sound and good at the American football product before we head into other areas. We've been approached about lacrosse and hockey and soccer shin guards. And, uh, even amazing, the amount of phone calls we get from skiing and snowboarding uh, from all over the world. Because the brands that, uh, Brian's a big skier, but the brands that go into skiing, they don't make protective equipment when you fall down a hill. So um, I think there's a the market there for really a protective equipment brand. When you look at the three major apparel companies and footwear, there is no one company that makes protective equipment, if you think about it. There's kind of silos per sport. So for the near future, I'd say expanding into uh, that varsity product so that everyone can afford it. Uh, I kind of always use the, the, the Chevy and the, and the Mercedes analogy. Uh, definitely a youth product and basically just expand. We started with one accessory. We're up to about 14 different accessories. What I mean by that is padded girdles, thighs, knees, back plates, ribs, helmet restrictors, neck issues, things like that. So a long way to go. Long way to go, but, but you guys are you guys are on the path. And was is the biggest challenge price point for you or awareness? Um, right now, I'd say the majority of it is awareness. Uh, Jack Mara works with us and former equipment guy at the Giants and I call him the silent assassin because once he gets in, it, the whole program, he just got University of Oklahoma uh, last week. It's the same thing at the high schools. Now, yes, there are areas of the country that, you know, my patented line is, yeah, Bob, it's, it's a phenomenal product. I'm a high school coach in XYZ. I want to drive a Porsche, too. It's you know, it's not in the budget. So we have them marked for the for the future as far as a varsity. But, and one other point, talk a little bit about how you've worked with players on the cause side to get them to Yeah, learn. that's a good point, Joe. That's um, why I brought it up. We came up with a marketing thing called the Cover 2 program. Um, and, and basically, it's a philanthropic effort to give back. And I give credit to the NFL. They have a program where current players, if they donate back to their high school it doesn't have to be where they went but if you know they they want to adopt the program for lack of better words they'll actually match up to a certain amount of product back to 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 better the game uh, i was just at pro bowl last week quentin nelson stefan gilmore before they both wear the product got to see them uh that's the other thing we're a brand that's trying to be part of the game it's something that betters their performance keeps them safe uh and that's how they view us right now it's kind of like someone that helps them play the game 
And before I could even get to it, they asked me, hey, listen, uh, I went back and visited my high school in the offseason. I saw what they were wearing. I just got a call from Evan Smith, 10 years in the league with the Packers and the Bucks. He said, uh, I retired. I'm healthy. I'm going to coach. I just saw where I'm coaching. The equipment is old. It's ancient. Nothing's changed. Uh, can you help? So uh, a lot of coaches, players, uh, Kurt Menefee was here doing some promotion for us from Fox NFL Sunday. He donated back to Coe College, a Division three school. So there's a long road for us. Um, so we're going to keep doing what we're doing and expand. And, Brian, what else are you working on? Do you have any other kind of entrepreneurial projects? Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, the, the latitude, I've got a couple small businesses I've opened up, and then through Bob, uh, the radio consortium that I work through, Get Roman. You know, Roman oh, Company. Really? Yeah, it's been fun. Watch you them. guys are well dressed. <laughs> well, to watch that company grow, you know, and the, 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 the whole telehealth uh, telemedicine market is just burgeoning. Uh, kind of fun to watch some of the things that they're doing. So, yeah, keep uh, keeps me busy. Cool. So I got one fun one for your audience. Perfect. And this comes back to your vices issue. Any product you make, right, let's just say safety equipment, you walk into an NFL locker room, college locker room, a high school locker room, right? be the safest piece of equipment they've ever worn. God himself, this is my patent line, God himself could come down and say, Joe, you're an outside linebacker, you're a defensive back for the New York Giants, right? This is the safest pad. It's going to give you the most momentum, uh, uh, flexibility. It's going to keep you safe, right? God himself could say that. The first thing Joe's going to do, this applies to helmets as well, where I think some other people have missed this. It's the perfect balance of what the medical side says, but also what's practical. And that's where I give Ted Monica, my, my partner, the, the, uh, the, a lot of um, credit there. He knew what, what's practical. It's not just what the scientists and the laboratories say. That's important, but it's not everything. But the first thing an athlete will tell you, they'll put it on. What will they do? They'll look at themselves. They'll go look in a mirror. Yeah. If, if it does not pass good. the look test, you're dead in the water. Yeah, we get a lot of that. That's We've funny. heard a lot of that as well. Hey, what, uh, uh, before we go... What was the line from Monday Morning Quarterback that they called Teddy? Was They called him the Steve Jobs of The equipment? Steve Jobs of yeah. equipment. Steve Jobs of shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Wow. wow. And he still good. gets called that today by old buddies. What, what do they call you? Uh, Steve Jobs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that check? The, 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 man, the man behind the curtain. Yeah. The man behind the curtain. What they call me today, I just saw Xavier Woods. He's sitting over in the Twitter booth. And Xavier, safety for the Dallas Cowboys, went to Louisiana Tech. And his agent said, Xavier, I want you to meet Bob. He goes, hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. I look at him, I go, oh, I'm offended. He goes, why? Have we met? I said, of course we've met. I give him like 20 seconds, he looks at me, and he goes, I'm sorry, I have have no idea. I said, all right, well, it's good to see you, but I'm a little offended. It kind of threw him off guard. And I said, "Uh, five years ago, Louisiana Tech. He goes, "I, I don't know. I go, what shoulder pads do you wear? He goes, oh, my God, you're the guy who hits his hand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's what yeah, they call it. There you go. a cool test, actually. So. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. So, um, oh, most importantly, where can people find X-Tech? Yeah. Instagram at X-Tech Pads, X-T-E-C-H Pads, P-A-D-S, and xtechpads.com. No Twitter? No. You guys are using Twitter. You don't use Twitter anymore? Instagram, Joe. Okay, sorry. It's all Insta, Joe. Photos and videos. Yeah, so. Snap, too. Yeah, it's Bob Broderick. 
Brian Billick, thanks for joining us Thank on the Cast Show. It's been really good, and I think this has been really interesting for our, our listeners. Too. Absolutely. I came away from this knowing a hell of a lot more than what I started. In, in, and a whole lot more about Cory Booker or Jace Wingard and, and, than you wanted that, to know. That, that too, but, but the tech side is, is fascinating. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. That's exactly right. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, you, gentlemen. Once again, this was the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito for Scott Rosner. We'll see you down the line. Right.